You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Everybody said, Amen. All right. So we're going to be, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn, like I said, in chapter 17. We're going to be looking at true friendship today. And I think that's what chapter 17 really is all about. It's, about. it's about what happens when you're surrounded by people who truly are your friend, people who truly love the Lord, and, uh, and are linking arms with you in, in your battle. And David is going to, is going to experience the, the goodness of God through an unlikely friendship. True friendship will literally, you'll see, will literally save his life. True friendship literally can sometimes come alongside of you and can, and can save your life. You never know how God is going to use those people in your life to, to, to bless you, but also even your eternal life. Many of you are here today because somebody who was a friend reached out, grabbed you, and pulled you in to this church or into salvation or into a place where you got to meet the Lord and the Holy Spirit convicted you and led you to salvation. You will have a, a, an eternity with Christ now because of somebody who likely was your friend. And that's, that's the beauty of, of groups. That's, the, that's why small groups or life groups are so important here at, at Life Church. You can't have true relationship in a big, big community. It's got, it has to get small, and you're going to see in David's, in David's world that this, life, this, uh, this friendship that he had developed in a small community with this particular character that we're going to dive into today. So, so take that to heart. You know, we got all these groups out there in the, in the lobby. Sign up, you know, sign up, connect with other people, connect to grow. That's, if you're not growing, it's probably because you're not connected. I always ask people when they say, well, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of church or, you know, I'm not growing. And I, I say, are you connected? Do you have friendships? Do you have people who are pushing you and you're pushing them? Are you using your gifts? Are you serving? And almost every single time when I ask that question to someone, they're like, well, not really. You know, I go to church on Sundays. I'm going to tell you right now, this, what we're doing right now is very, it's important, but it's about this much of what the church really is, right? Church is, is a family, I mean, if, if your family consisted of just sitting down and having a meal together, and that was the only aspect of your family that you had, you wouldn't have a very healthy family, would you? Family does life together. Family pours into each other. You sit down and you have dinner together, and that's kind of what we're doing right here. We're, we're getting in this group. We're sitting down with one another. We're taking the spiritual food of the Word. But if this is all that church is for you, you're not going to be very connected to a family. Family is about doing life together, and that's where life groups come into play. When you fall, people are there to pick you up because they know you. When others fall, you're there to pick them up because you know them. That's the power of groups, and it can literally save your life, as we will see here in David's situation. All right, verse 1, chapter 17. Now Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. Remember, Ahithophel was one of David's advisors. And he abandoned David, betrayed David, and went with the guy he thought was going to win. He was picking his, his horse. He was hitching his cart to the powerful horse. And he thought Absalom was that. So he said, you know what, David? I've been with you, but I'm done with you now. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go with Absalom. And, and so now he's with Absalom. And he said, hey, you're the new king. Let me go and I'll, I'll put David down. I'll kill David. Give me 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. I will catch up with him. And while he was his weary and discouraged, he and his troops will panic and everyone will run away. Then I will kill only the king. Our, our fight isn't with David's mighty men. Our fight isn't with our brothers in Israel. 
Our fight is just with David. I'll kill him. And I will bring all the people back to you as a, as a bride returns to her husband. After all, it's only one man's life that you seek. Then you will be at peace with all the people. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. But then Absalom said one thing. He said, bring in Hushai the Archite. Here's the friend of David coming on the scene. Let's see what he thinks about all of this. And when Hushai heard, uh, it, heard of Absalom's or Ahithophel's plan, uh, the king said, what is your opinion? Should we follow Ahithophel's advice? If not, what do you suggest? So I want to stop just real quick. Who's Hushai? Hushai. He is the archite. He's a non-Jewish person. He's a friend of David, um, but he's not Jewish. And I love this story of Hushai because he kind of reminds me of like a Rahab character. If you know the story of Je- Joshua and Jericho, Rahab was a, Jer- a Jerichonian. She was not an Israelite. And the Lord, because she chose to be on God's side, the Lord blessed her greatly grafted her into the 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 people of god here's another story where a non-jewish person sees the god of abraham isaac and jacob and says you know what i really believe that this god is the one true god and i want to be on his side i don't want to i don't want to just hitch my cart to who i think is going to be powerful on earth i want to hitch my cart to the king of kings and to the lord of lords and god will bless you for that if you do the same thing you see in first chronicles 27. Chronicles kind of goes in line with the stories here. Chronicles says this, that Ahithophel was the royal advisor to David, and Hushai the archite was the king's friend. That's cool, huh? That's a, that's a really good insight that Chronicles gives us. Not just an advisor, a friend. There's two big differences here. Now remember, Hushai, we saw him earlier, just a couple chapters earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And the king, King David, has been run out of town by Absalom. Remember this. David's going up the Mount of Olives, and he comes, he comes uh, along and he sees his friend Hushai there. And it says this, when David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worshiped God, Hushai the archite was waiting there for him. And Hushai had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. He, he was saying, David, I'm, I'm here with you. I, I, my heart breaks for you. I'm sorry that you're going through this. And as your friend, I'm standing with you in, in, in this time of need. And David said to Hushai, if you go with me, you will only be a burden. You will only be, it'll only be a burden for you too. And and I don't want that for you, Hushai. And so David says, return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor, O king, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. And so that's what Hushai does. And so now we see this is playing out here. Hushai goes in to serve Absalom. And Absalom now is asking for his opinion, and now he gets a chance to be the true loyal friend of David. Hushai, again, I said it, was on God's side. Therefore, Hushai was on the right side. And it reminds me of, you can go back throughout history, and you can see characters of our history, whether it's American history, biblical history, world history, when people are on the side of right, they are on the side of God. There is a story that I love, I've shared it here before, it's about Abraham Lincoln, one of our greatest presidents, led us through one of the most divisive, uh, uh, heart-wrenching times of our, of our history during the Civil War. And in the height of the Civil War, when brothers are killing brothers, fathers are killing sons, sons are killing fathers, he's called to Washington to a prayer meeting by a group of pastors. And these pastors say to Mr. Lincoln, they say, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. 
And with great wisdom, President Lincoln says, no, gentlemen, that's not my concern. He says, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And when you have this heart right here that Abe Lincoln had, that Hushai had, that Rahab had, God's going to bless you and give you so many victories because you're always saying, all right, Lord, where are you going? I want to go there. I don't want God to come join Life Church. I want Life Church to go and join God. Right? I don't want God to join my family. I want my family to join the Holy Spirit. I want the Spirit of the living God to be leading, and I will follow. Where you go, I will follow. It's not, but oftentimes our prayers are, are like, God, I'm going over here. Can you please come? Right? And the Lord's like, well, that's not where I want you to go, and I'm going over here, so can you please come? <laughs> you come over here, Micah. Well, no, I want you to come over here. No, you come. This is like the conversations I have with my son Brody. I love Brody. But it's like the Lord is just, I can see him smiling and chuckling when I'm dealing with my son because he's like, yeah, it kind of is annoying, isn't it? You know? <laughs> now you get it, Micah. Right? I'm like, Brody, come on, we got to go. No, I'm going to go over here. No, Brody, over here. No, I'm going over here. And I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, this is a little picture of you and I right now, okay? <laughs> It's like, that's not the answer I wanted, right? That's not the answer. My concern is whether we are on God's side. Had that same concern. Hushai had that, that concern as well. Hushai replied to Absalom, this time Ahithophel has made a mistake. So this is not, again, please hear, see what Hushai is doing. He's not saying this because he really believes Ahithophel has made a mistake. He's saying this because he's a friend of David. So he's giving Absalom this advice now. He says, hey, I think... I think that he's made a mistake. Now, he better be shrewd because if Absalom thinks for a moment that Hushai's not really on his side, Absalom would have him killed and wouldn't even think twice about it. So he better be shrewd. He better make up some aspect of a story or advice that actually seems legitimate. And this is what Hushai goes on to say. He says, you know your father and his men. They are mighty warriors. All of Israel knows this. You know that they, they sing songs about him. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands, right? I mean, David literally went and got 200 foreskins from Philistine men, right? Like early on in his life. I don't know, like, to me, that's a pretty bad guy, right? Like, you know, like a bad in a good way. Like, you don't mess with that guy, right? <laughs> you don't, like, how does that happen? Unless you are a mighty warrior. <laughs> and it's a whole nother story for another day. If you were here during that, you know that we had too many jokes, too many like, problems with that passage. However, David is known for that, for being a mighty warrior. Right now, they are enraged as a mother bear who has been robbed of her cubs. And remember that your father is an experienced man of war. He won't be spending the night among the troops. This is not a normal king, King Absalom. You're going to war with a guy who knows how to go to war. Don't underestimate your enemy. He's probably already hidden in some pit or cave, and when he comes out and attacks a few of your men, and a few of your men fall, there will be panic among your troops, and the word will spread that Absalom's men are being slaughtered. So this is, this is a very shrewd response from Hushai. He's not lying. All of Israel knows that David is very capable of this. He's planting doubt in the seed of David's enemy. He's saying, okay, if you want to go after him the way Ahithophel says, you better kill the king. Because if you don't kill the king, this could cause chaos amongst your ranks. If you go after the king, kill the king. You don't wound the king because then it comes, really, it comes, it comes back on you even, even worse. Then even the bravest soldiers, though they have the heart of a lion, will be paralyzed with fear. 
For all Israel knows what a mighty warrior your father is and how courageous his men are. I, this is a cool passage to, uh, to in the sense that your, your testimony is powerful, right? Your, your, your reputation is important. You know, the Bible even talks about how precious a reputation is. It's more precious than rubies. Why? Because this is how people look at you and see you. Now, there's going to be people that always try to lie and try to, you know, slander you and do all. I'm not talking about what they think. I'm talking about what the truth is, because there will be a lot of people who can see the truth. There will be a lot of people who are looking with discerning eyes and say, I just want to know more about this person. When your reputation is a good one, it opens doors and actually brings a, a hedge of protection around you as well. And here's what we're seeing with David. His reputation Hushai is now using to build a hedge of protection around David and his men because David was known for being a mighty warrior, someone who would not, not run away from battle. I mean, for crying out loud, even as a boy, David, when all of Israel wouldn't go up against Goliath, David, a little shepherd boy, ran into battle to fight Goliath. And what did David say? He said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God of heaven's armies. Israel knows that David's not a coward. And he's not going to be put down very easily. And so Hushai is using this reputation that David has. He says, I recommend that you mobilize the entire army of Israel. So not just 12,000 men. You need to take the whole army, Absalom, bringing them from as far away as Dan in the north and Beersheba in the south. That way you will have an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And I advise you, I advise that you personally lead the troops. They need to see you, the king, going out to battle. And when we find David, we'll fall on him like dew falls on the ground, that neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. So now Hushai is basically saying, go kill. He's making it look like he wants to kill David and his men. Where Hithophel was saying, we're just going after David. Hushai is saying, no, you need to deal with this, which is very shrewd. I think, I think Absalom's thinking, okay, this guy really is out. To, to end this conflict. And if David were to escape into some town, you will have all of Israel there at your command. Then we can take the, the ropes and drag the walls of the town into the nearest valley until every stone is torn down. So, if you don't know this story, you might think, man, Hushai is like really trying to go after David. But what, what is happening here, he is protecting David. And you're going to see in this next verse, in verse 14, you're going to see that this is actually the Lord leading Hushai. He's, he's working in the heart of Absalom to harden Absalom's heart towards good counsel to take Hushai's uh, shrewd counsel that, that will help give David the favor in the war. And I think one man's counsel, this is, this is coming from one of David's true friends being placed in just the right time in the king's court, changed the entire outcome of the war for David. You're going to see that this story now leads Absalom down a path of destruction. You're going to see that this was not the right path for Absalom, but it was the favor and the, the, the strategic path for David to win the entire battle. This, is, this happens throughout all of biblical history. Go back and look at Joseph in the king's court in, in Egypt, in Pharaoh's court. Saved an entire nation and, and the Jewish people. Then you see Esther with King Xerxes, a wicked king. But she was placed in the king's court to give counsel to save those that she loved. Then you look at Daniel in King Nebuchadnezzar's court and King Darius's court, wicked kings again. But yet God used them and their counsel to direct, to direct blessings and protection upon God's people. You may be one of those people, right? You might be like Hushai. You may be in a, a corporate boardroom 
where the, you know this, this business is not a godly business. It's a business that is totally not trying to honor the Lord, but you've been placed in a strategic position to give counsel to those that can make sweeping decisions that can either have the effect of life or the effect of death. And a lot of it, you know, is, is we're looking at spiritual life and spiritual death. I mean, you think, there, I had a friend once that was, he was the, he was on the, the, uh, the board of directors as an advisor, a spiritual advisor to Disney. I mean, Disney Corporation, okay? ABC, ESPN, everything Disney is. And they brought him in as one of their advisors to counsel them spiritually. Now, they had other spiritual counselors. They had people who were not following Jesus, they had psychics, and they had, you know, people who were, you know, in, the, in different religions. But he was the Christian spiritual guy, right? And so he had a place at the table, and he was able to actually stop some, even, some, you're going to be like, oh, it didn't do much. Well, if you know the story of what he did help stop, there were other things that you would say, wow, those are completely like even more wicked than I could ever imagine. He was strategically placed in that moment to help steer the tide away from even some of those things. And there were a couple board members that even got to see the power of the Lord and accepted Christ as their Savior. Now, I don't think they're still on the board, but, but I think in that, in that time, they were, they were there. They were able to see God's power because of one person's counsel in this seemingly enemy territory. We see this all the way throughout uh, uh, world history as well. Even, even in recent world history, there was a man, his name was Eli Cohen. I don't know if you know this man, but he was an Egyptian-born Jew. And he, he was born in the, the early 1900s. He, he, he grew, and, and as he grew, he, he saw what God was doing in Israel, bringing Israel back. In 1948, Israel was rebirthed as a nation. But Israel was fighting for its existence in the 50s. And in the 60s, from the nations around, and one of those nations was Syria. And Eli Cohen was this spy that he ended up being a, a, a Syrian spy, or an Israeli spy that went into Damascus. And from the late 50s to the early 60s, he got more information on how Syria was going to attack Israel than anyone could have ever imagined. And he is credited to helping Israel win the Six-Day War in 1967. Now, he risked his life. He was later executed. They found out that he was the spy. But he had this incredible job of being placed in the council of the enemy. They didn't know who he was, but he got great favor in the courts of leadership in Syria. And because of his leadership, many people in Israel were, were, were spared. And Israel is still a nation today in a large part because Syria and Egypt and Lebanon were not able to, and, and Jordan were not able to destroy Israel in the Six-Day War. Now, this is, this is Eli Cohen. There's, a, there's actually a documentary, uh, uh, actually a miniseries on his life uh, on Netflix. It's called The Spy. You should, you should check it out. When I, when I went to Israel, they, we were in the Golan Heights in the northern part of Israel. And when you look out over the Golan Heights, it's the highest part of the land. You can see for miles. And it's the strategic battle uh, battlefield point where anyone who controls the Golan Heights is really going to control the battle. And for years, the Syrians had the Golan Heights. And so in the early 60s, as Ali begins to get counsel within the king's courts, within the prime minister's courts and the, and the, and the leaders of Syria, they said, hey, Ali, we, we have a problem in the Golan Heights. And he said, what is it? And they said, well, our, our men are getting scorched to death because it's so hot. We need to find some way to shade them. But how can we do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to ourselves? And so Ellie said, well, you should plant trees. Because there's, there's trees in the Golan Heights, but you should, you should just plant trees. They said, well, we need trees like today. 
He said, well, there's one tree, there's a eucalyptus tree, and that grows very quickly, and in a couple seasons, you'll have full-grown eucalyptus trees. And when we were in the Golan Heights, we saw these clusters of eucalyptus trees that exist today because of Ellie's advice. Well, then the Six-Day War comes, and Ellie was able to, prior to the Six-Day War, he was able to tell Israeli leadership, he said, hey, there's going to be clusters of eucalyptus trees on the Golan Heights, and you know what's going to be happening there? That's where all the enemy is going to be stationed to, to provide cover for, from the sun. So when you target the Golan Heights, go after the eucalyptus trees. And you know what happened in the Six-Day War? Within two days, they had the Golan Heights in Israeli control because of Eli Cohen's advice and being placed strategically in the, the enemy's courts to help bless the people of God. This is our story. This is your story. And he was a friend to many. And because of him, you now see great freedom. You see great prosperity happening in Israel. I mean, they're still fighting, but it's, it's going well for Israel, and it's not going well for, for their enemies. So all that to say, this led me to this passage. I was thinking, man, this is totally what Jesus said in, in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, than the, than the love of one that would lay down his life for his friends. I mean, you see the story of Ellie Cohen. This is a story of John John 15, 13. You see the story of, of, of people all, like, all the way throughout world history. We, we see heroes that have done this. And I think Ellie Cohen is, a, is modeling the life of Hushai, and, and, and both of them are modeling lives so that we can learn how, do, how, how would we respond when we get placed in that situation. Because you might be a David in the story at times, and you also might be a Hushai in the story at times. God's probably going to use your friends to give you great favor and award, but he's also going to use you to go and bat, go to bat for your friends so they can have great favor in their wars. You're going to be both these characters. I can see myself in both these characters, and I hope you can as well. In verse uh, 14, then we see this. This is the last verse of, of what we're going to study today, but it says this, Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithophel's. For the Lord had determined to defeat the council of Ahithophel, which was the better plan. The Lord's literally saying right here in Scripture that Ahithophel's plan, if it would have gone through, would have been David's end. But David was protected because of his friend Hushai in the council of a wicked king. And he was able to get the king to go a different direction. I, I look at it this way. I think who's, Ahithophel had betrayed David. He wasn't looking at what God was doing. He wasn't saying, I should be on God's side. He was appealing to earthly reason. We do this all the time, whether you're a Christian, non-Christian. People oftentimes get stuck in this idea of earthly reason. But then David was appealing to heaven and to God's reason, to God's idea, to God's logic. What's, what's theology? What's theological? What does it mean to be theological? It's God's logical way to look. Theo means God, God's logic. Look to God's logic if you want to have success. In our founding, in American history, I love this idea that our founders, they would appeal to heaven. There was even a flag commissioned in, in 1776 called the pine tree flag. And maybe you've seen it, but there's words that go above this pine tree. You know what it says? An appeal to heaven. And this was commissioned to be the flag that was, that was, hanging, that was, uh, that was flying over the, the Navy ships of Massachusetts in 1776. An appeal to heaven. Our founders said, unless God steps in, we will have no hope. Unless God comes in this situation, we will not have hope. So we can think of our own reason as being our, our fortress, but that ain't going to work. we got to go to God's reason. 
And a few years later, after the Revolutionary War was successful and we, we crafted, again, another miracle was crafting the Constitution. A few years after that, in the early 1800s, a, a French philosopher and author, his name was Alexis de Tocqueville, came to America because at the same time of the American Revolution, you know what else was going on over in France? The French Revolution. The French Revolution, though, was not an appeal to heaven's reason. The French Revolution was an appeal to man's reason. It was the enlightenment of human reason is what they based all of this revolution on, and it didn't work well. In the time we've had one constitution for 236, 37 years now, the French have had seven constitutions. Why? Because human reason doesn't work well. And so Alexis de Tocqueville was seeing the, the, the decay of the French Revolution very quickly. And so he said, i got to go check out America because they, they seem like they're pretty strong right now. What is it, what is it that, that sets them apart? Now, I wasn't planning on reading this. This is just coming to me in this moment. So give me a second. I'm going to pull up his quote. I have his, I have his quote here. It's a powerful quote. And it says this. It says, he writes in his book, it's called Democracy in America. Now listen to, he's not a Christian. He doesn't understand who we, who we are as Americans, but he knows that he can see that we're being successful. And he says this in his, in his book, Democracy in America. He says, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the greatness and the genius of America. America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Whoa! Well, you know what we understood? We said, hey, there's no one good but God. Why are we good in America? Why, do we, why are we different in America? Because we appeal to a good God. We say, we know we can't do this without you, God. We know that without your goodness, we will have nothing. And I don't know what situation you have in your life right now, but I'm telling you that if you appeal to God, to a good God, to the judge of heaven and earth, he will step in and he will rescue you and he will do exactly what he did to David and what he did for David. He will protect him. He will give him the victory. What situation do you have that you need God to step in? An appeal to heaven. This passage in Judges 11.27, you're going to be wronged in this world. You're going to be wrong in this world. And actually, our founding fathers, they read the, the philosopher, the, the government philosopher, his name was John Locke, the English philosopher. And John Locke kind of laid the Declaration of Independence framework. Basically, the Declaration of Independence is, a, is an overview of John Locke's work. But John Locke often went to this, this, uh, this passage of Scripture when he, was, when he was understanding this appeal to heaven mindset. He said, we're going to be wronged. You've wronged me, but I, I didn't do anything to deserve the wrong." There's, there's, there's injustice in this world. So where do I turn when the powers of this world won't deal with justice? They won't bring justice. This is Absalom. Absalom was saying the same thing about his father David. Where do, you didn't deal with justice. You are the power at be. You know where Absalom should have turned to? He should have turned to the judge of heaven and earth, the Lord. He should have said, Lord, I know you saw what happened to my sister. I know that you're the God of justice, and that was unjust. Please deal with this. Please make it right. And if he would have done that, Absalom would have a very different testimony this day. I promise you he would have. John Locke quoted this, this verse often. He said, let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Am Ammonites, the good guys and the bad guys. Let the Lord appeal to heaven. And I think that same spirit that was in Hushai, that was in David, that was in our founding fathers, 
It was that, it was an appeal to heaven mindset. So where are you today in all of this? Where do you see yourself? Is there something that someone's done to you that's wrong? You didn't deserve it, but someone did it. Are you trying to bring justice yourself? Or are you going to the Lord of heaven and earth and say, Lord, I'm appealing to you now. I surrender this to you. If that's your heart, I promise you, you've got a heart after God's own heart. Because that's what David did. And David had a heart after God's own heart. And he's going to rescue you. He'll step in. I don't know how. I don't know, I don't know the timeline of that. But I, also, but I do know this. He will right all wrongs. Whether on this side of heaven or the next side. It's going to be right. My wife, I love her to death. She has a heart of justice. She hates seeing wrongs. And she hates it when people who do wrong get away with doing wrong. It's just her heart. That's a, God, that's a godly heart. And so oftentimes she'll be like, why isn't anything bad happening to those people? <laughs> right? And I just I remind her, I said, I said babe, it's either going to happen, justice is either going to come on this side of heaven or on the next side. But either way, they are going to stand before a righteous, holy God, and they're going to have to answer for what they've done. That's the joy that we have. We know that our God is the judge of all of heaven and earth. Don't try to take it into your own hands. Don't try to be God. Appeal to God and to heaven's justice and his righteousness. We're going to invite the prayer team down. And if you've got anything in your life that you've been wrong, there's been something that's happened where you need justice to come through, you need to appeal to heaven, do what David did. Fall on your knees before the one true God and say, God, help me. We've got intercessors here that will fall with you. They'll fall down. They'll link arms with you just like Hushai in the courts, in the council of the king. They will come alongside of you and they will give you great victory because they're linking arms with you. And they'll give you counsel that will turn the, the tide of the war in your favor. I promise. I've seen these prayer warriors at work. They're anointed to pray. So if you need that prayer today, we're going to give you a moment to do that. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.